Testing, testing. Wait, what podcast is this? Number number eighty six, I think. Podcast eighty six. If, if we fucked it up, then the number on your screen or on the, the title for this shit. <laughs> if you give a <laughs> shit. All right, we're in fucking Highland Park, Los Angeles, California. This is the hipster hub. <laughs> That's right, Williamsburg. Watch out. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's like the Williamsburg of of the West Coast. A lot of hipsters, a lot of vegan donut shops. Uh, Gluten-free donuts. That place is pretty good over there on uh, York. That's I usually go to have some gluten-free pizza slices <laughs> at York Pizza, I think it's called. Not a Get in one. a yoga sesh, you know. Like. <laughs> Downward dog right there. Go have a fucking uh, oh, gluten-free sh- donut and then go get a colonic and call it a fucking day. <laughs> fucking take a hit of some dosist of your dosis. Oh, my dosis. Yeah, friend. we're being hella rude right now. <laughs> Who do we have with us today? Yeah, we have a special <laughs> guest today, Carlos Aguilar. What's up, dude? Just right here, bro. I'm, right now, I'm um, first time, long time. Um, I'm just bugging out because I see you guys have notes. You guys have a. Uh, a breakout for what yeah, you're you not planned. supposed to share that shit, man. This is about freestyle. This is all freestyle. <laughs> you didn't think we did that? That's really good at, at that. I'm I'm pretty lazy, but but check, check, but this yeah. was important. Normally, yeah, we do it way more half-assedly, but we knew we were gonna come down here. We're gonna have talk to special guests, people in the business, Latinos in the business, in the entertainment industry. So. We prepped a little on the drive over here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we had a fucking long drive. Yeah, it took forever to get here. But yeah, we, we were trying to come down to L.A. more and talk to more people that, you know, we're trying to work with and people that we've known for a while, people that are new to us and just trying to get a little more perspective and expand our horizons. Because, as you know, I pretty much just live in a cabin in the woods. That's right. I don't come out very often. <laughs> Sammy lives in a woke bubble. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm an only child too, so I like to just kind of sit to myself, have that only child syndrome. Gotcha. Just like to chill by myself. M- even uh, more interesting to me is the fact that you guys are from Texas. Is that right? Yeah. 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 You guys live in the Bay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you guys are in LA. And when I listen to you guys, because like I said, I'm a long time first time. Is that what they do? Like, <laughs> yeah. Long time um, listener, first time guest. That's right. I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah that yeah. gotta work. Yeah. Um, I was like, all right, you guys, you guys sound like um, you're from LA. Hmm. Well, I knew you guys weren't from LA. I need to change how I speak. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it's less, yeah, maybe it's less like accent, but just more perspective or whatever. Huh. But I'm, I guess it's probably what I'm reading is probably more just your guys' college experience and shit. And the fact that you hmm. guys have friends probably from all over the country and the fact that you've lived in different parts. We're of citizens country. of the world, Carlos. Right. You know? We're documented now. <laughs> that's right. God you damn. free to move. This guy's like. <laughs> No, that's dope. This um, guy just fucking showed his privilege. Hardcore. <laughs> no, no that's dope because I feel like uh, we don't really rep Texas. Or at least I don't kind of rep it super hard. Um, right. I don't. I don't really. Uh, I grew up in just like these fucking suburbs of Fort Worth, so it's nothing really. I like. I have a lot of cool friends and family that's there, but I don't think I'll ever go back to Fort Worth, Texas. Yeah, people no always thing. say that, like, "Oh, you're Texan and whatever." At this point, I've actually been in the Bay Area longer. You know, I moved to the Bay Area when I was 19, and I'm fucking 41, almost 42 now. And so, <laughs> Texas—I mean, Texas—is like my childhood. Right. Um, and people, even even when I got to to the Bay Area, though, like people were like, "You don't have a Texas accent," primarily because I didn't hang out with white people. Right. I mean, I just grew up like in a Mexican American neighborhood. You know, Mexican parents. So he didn't. I Growing didn't. up, you're like, "Hey, what's up, dog?" <laughs> oh, is that is, is like, what's the flow there in, in Texas? There is with, no flow, with, with man. Mexican it's American, weird. It's, like, I feel like it is kind of or... a little like, uh, I, like my dad, 
he learned English because he was like a roofer. He he like was around a bunch of fucking redneck ass white people. So when he speaks English, he kind of talks a little bit like this when he's mm. talking in Spanish. Like, yeah, I mean, if gonna... you hang out with a lot of white, because my sister, who's married, been she married to her second white guy now. I just threw her to the bus. I mean, she <laughs> listens to every episode, and she's a Patreon supporter, so shout out to her. But you know, <laughs> like out her Patreon support. Yeah, we just took out like tw- you know twenty percent of our budget. <laughs> but, <laughs> But she has some of that accent, and then I have friends who work in certain businesses like real estate or whatever, and they start talking Ice. like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like when you hang out with... The, you start picking up on it, and I probably would too, sure. to be honest, because you can't help it. But anyway, no, Carlos, Well, I have to tell you yeah. that my family's originally from... You know, my mom's side is from Texas, Corpus Christi, and in mm. Houston, and my dad's side is from Tucson, Arizona. Growing up in L.A., I always thought that my cousin's... Hmm. Out east, we're a little slow motion. Huh. Like, if I wanted to see the ducktail, I'm going to ask them, like, how it's, how it's working. You know what I'm saying? So right. there was always this impression that stuff was maybe getting to Arizona and then Texas a little later. That was before, of course, the advent of, like, the local hip-hop scene. And then Houston became known for, for throwing down and, I assume, yes. has always been holding it down. But the perception of Texans, you know what I'm saying, from a Southern California Chicano's perspective was always, like, Oh, yeah, they're probably trying to do the shit we're trying to do. I mean, I think yeah. that was the case, and it's probably not just because of the local hip-hop scene, but also because of the internet. Things have changed. Yeah. People Food's gone wild is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why, those fools from Texas? No, but I'm just oh, saying, oh, like, they're, they're kind of, like, projecting kind of L.A. cholo sure, culture. Yeah, right, right. Local like, culture, I think, is dying in many ways all over the world because... There's, globalism man is just a fucking <laughs> well like basically there's your locality is a is a niche of the internet now so you can belong to a community but that community can live online and right. you can still be like emo or or whatever cholo or whatever what you <laughs> hentai, want hentai bukkake <laughs> whatever you're into in your part of the world um so i think yeah that that's whatever but well, i'll take it back to you carlos so i met you first like in 2007 or 8 Right. When you were still uh, doing bookworm, man. That's right. But oh, let me shit. take it even back before then. Like, so you grew up. Where did you grow up exactly? I grew up. Pin is a picture of your barrio. My barrio. <laughs> well, 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 for starters, it's always barrio with a V. Like I already know oh, someone. Bad. I already know someone's like, okay, you said bar, well, barrio boys in Texas. Okay. okay. Um, but I grew up in um, an unincorporated part of Valley County called Bassett. Hmm. Um, to be unincorporated means you're not a city, but you st- we had a school district. More importantly, especially in the 90s when I came up, early 90s, you know, L.A. was divided not by cities but by gangs, really. Mm. And so I lived in a neighborhood called Bassett. The gang from my neighborhood is Bassett. And if I told people I went to Bassett, it was always an issue. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You had to throw it down. You, yeah. <laughs> and Was your um, mascot the Bassett Hound? <laughs> no. um, you know what? Fuck. Check this out. There's a Texas connection to Bassett. Um, I guess Bassett Furniture or whatever. This dude from is from El Paso. Hmm. When we came out here, bought some land or whatever, so it's named after some dude. Why dude? A.O. Bassett or something like Interesting. that. Interesting. Definitely. Bassett. So there was a you know it's ninety percent Latino community. Huh. Uh, you had a handful of um, black families, a handful of Vietnamese families, but um, even though it was ninety percent Latino, I was third generation. Some of my friends were first generation. I see. So I didn't. I don't speak Spanish. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. Oh shit. My parents. Um, don't speak Spanish huh. and didn't come up speaking Spanish. My grandparents, bilingual, growing up in Tucson and Arizona, were punished for speaking Spanish. Yeah, shit. So yeah. they taught our 
my parents not English. To. Yeah, yeah. And they never learned Spanish. I That's what Julio and Castro is dealing with right now. You know? <laughs> oh, he has fucked up Spanish or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, he basically said that, you know, when he was growing up, he was told not to right. speak Spanish and to, like, work on his English. And that's why he talks like this now. <laughs> like Obama. That's why right. he's running for president. Like Mayor cause... Quimby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Julio and Quimby Castro. Uh, where, where are your grandparents from? My, you... uh, they're from Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. I see. Okay. On one side and then from Texas on the other. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, so the border, the border crossed you effectively. That's right. <laughs> and now I live, you know, where I grew up is, is in uh, the San Gabriel Valley. The San Gabriel Valley um, is named after the San Gabriel Mission. It's one mm-hmm. of the early California missions. There is a river that runs through the San Gabriel Valley where the Mexican-American, like critical battles in the Mexican-American War took place. Hmm. So that's in the San Gabriel Valley. Um, the San Gabriel Valley is really important to the... Uh, history of like the development of LA and LA County to the identity of Latinos in LA County hmm. um, to the economy. Um, there's more colleges in the San Gabriel Valley, like private colleges, junior colleges, trade techs, universities, than there is on the Eastern Seaboard. Hmm. So, uh, but when people think of the Valley in Los Angeles, they all often think of the San Fernando Valley or Valley Girls or whatever. Porn. <laughs> and porn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got a funny story about how I talked my way onto a porn set. <laughs> nice. Let's hear it. Um, nice. <laughs> Cut to well, my first job in media was for Mundos. Um, and it was like, uh, at the time, Telemundo thought it'd be smart to, this is in 2003, yeah. to start a network that catered to English-speaking Latinos. Hmm. Yeah. They called it Moon 2 yeah. or Mundos. <laughs> no, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to watch Damn. that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, there was, uh, they launched their programming from Miami with a show called The Roof, which really took off. Okay. For several years, it was like a soul train for Latinos. I was thinking, what what was that? There was another show called Control. That was like a later show. It was a a dark Cuban dude with a monitor in the back? No, no. Control was like the... It was usually at a pool, and there was like a DJ, and there was like fine chicks dancing. (sighs) Yeah, that was that was that was the brunt of their programming, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) You know, bikinis. Still. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when they decided to launch on the West Coast, um, they wanted to launch with some programming, so... um, I got hired in my first television television job writing for Mundos for a show called Off the Roof, um, where it was a daily what I called a video mix magazine, mm. where we rolled in segments followed by music videos, followed by interviews, hosted by, you guessed it, two attractive ladies <laughs> from first from Miami the studio. We'd produce it all out here. Then we moved. Well, we had to let them go. Um, had some homegrown homegrown hosts yeah. and. Uh, it was a really dope opportunity to kind of meet at the time a lot of the artists and creatives who were making media. This yeah. is kind of this is pre-social media even. Sure. Oh, yeah. The advent of kind of Friendster or whatever. But um, so it was that was an opportunity for me to identify myself as a Latino media make, maker and then to kind of connect with Latino creatives who were you know, doing work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you do at, at? So you came to school here in Occidental, which is right in the neighborhood where we're at. What did you study? I studied American Studies. Okay. Um, before Occidental, I had like a really circuitous route to Oxy because after I graduated from Bassett High School, you know, I grew up in the 90s when like um, people were killing each other straight, like like not like a movie type shit. Like people <laughs> were like in my neighborhood, like drive-bys on my block, like murderous shit that I had to leave my neighborhood when I graduated because I had an encounter with the local gang that required me to take a weapon to school <laughs> on some way out shit. So I went first, after I graduated, I was fortunate enough to get into this program at Brandeis University called um, the TYP program. So I went to Boston for a year. Then I came back um, 
So that was after high school? That was after high school. Okay. I did this, um, it's kind of like a college remediation program mm-hmm. where further built my academic skills so that I could reapply to colleges, which is what I did. Got Decided it. to go to Oxy, came back home, and then... Um, that's a, that's what they call it, Oxy? Yeah, Oxy. That's what they call it. Oxycontin. And did American Studies and went on to get a master's degree um, in the philosophy of religion and ethics from a seminary called Talbot School of Theology. Oh, shit. So... Is um, Temple down here? Is You said Temple? Talbot School of Theology. Talbot, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's at Biola University. Ah, huh. uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah when I came up, um, I came up in, the, in, a, in a crazy neighborhood. My senior year, I got invited to a religious crusade. Have you ever been to one? Uh, I don't, I've been to some, some church-like camps. Um, in high school, I kind of got, I say I got duped into uh, attending uh again i'm gonna throw my sister under the bus <laughs> <laughs> I, I i went to like this uh baptist church for a couple of years and we actually had a really cool pastor he was like an ex-marine and just he didn't seem like a pastor right he seemed very friendly and he was very cool about stuff but um so i did that like for my last two years of high school and i actually got baptized wow so technically i'm a fucking <laughs> I'm southern <born> baptist <laughs> man you know <laughs> <I'm> fucking <laughs> Yeah, so technically I was born again, I guess. Uh, and that must have been my, I don't remember if it was like my junior or my senior year of high school. Oh, shit. Um, but I remember. I thought you were like a baby when you were talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. Like a don't... toddler. No, 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 no. I was, in, I was a fucking you adult. You like... had a mustache when this happened. Yeah. I had a full fucking head of pubes. <laughs> <laughs> full and newly grown. I fucking tainted that, that bath, that, 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 that Baptist uh, thing. And, uh, <laughs> I fucking farted in that water. Um, And uh, so I did that for two years. And then actually when I got to Stanford, I I went to like this Bible study group for like two quarters. And I just ended up finding these people to be really whack, to be perfectly honest. I did not. I felt like people had a lot of problems in a way and they were dealing with it in weird ways or they weren't really dealing with it. They were praying about stuff. That was self-flagellation. Re- I mean, it was weird. <laughs> like I felt like there was just, it, I don't know. I didn't feel comfortable with it. It never felt really natural to me. Right. And um, I pretty much stopped doing that at some point in my freshman year and have not participated in any of that since then. But um, you're a member of the Church of Satan now. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. I mean, if anybody listens to the p- podcast, prayers. You know, if you uh, shout yeah, out to prayers, <laughs> I, pr- I pray to uh, <laughs> Raphael yeah. to, to Leifer Sayer. Uh, yeah, you know, college campuses are an interesting place for these uh, student religious organizations. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, for these student religious organizations, I led one. Okay. Um, when I was eight, when I was my senior year in high school, a family member invited me to a religious crusade, which was all the rage like in early '90s Southern California. Really. So this was called the Harvest Crusade. Oh, we hey, just. Kitty, this is the cat. There's a cat on the table right now. Come here, kitty cat. That? Is that ominous? Or what, oh, yeah, what's going black on? Right? Cat, <laughs> fucking black cat. He's like, stop this conversation right now. Come here. We're at a friend's house, by the way. Thanks and shout out to Stoney who let us use his house uh, this weekend. Shout out to Colossal Youth Highland Park um, TV. But he has a kitty cat and it's uh, on the table Literally right now. Literally in it's the middle of the table. Oh, three of us. Come here, kitty cat. Okay. Get out of here. <laughs> so you led a. a yeah, well. Um, I, I, would, I didn't grow up religious at all, but then I had this uh, conversion experience at a crusade where it was like they, they you know, give a message from the Bible and it feels like they're talking about you, someone looking for purpose mm-hmm. in your life, knowing there's a better way to uh-huh. be in a, in a better world, in a better place. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then they're yeah. like, oh, but you can't smoke, you can't drink, can't fuck, can't curse, can't like, like <laughs> Yeah. And I bit the bullet basically. So from like 18 
when I went to Brandeis, newly converted, huh. born again oh, Christian shit. who like dove headfirst into the Bible, like studied, read everything I could about everything <laughs> I could. Uh, came back, I started rapping. I was a Christian rap evangelist. Oh, uh-huh. wow. So I was a Christian rapper, which was like a formative era in this weird subculture uh-huh. Christian contemporary music huh. which where they're starting to embrace hip hop and rap because all the youth are doing it yep. yeah it's not like I'm from Texas yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so then I went to Oxy and uh, found that the Christians that I met on campus weren't like Malcolm X enough for me you know what I'm saying I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like step it up like I was like, like yo, <laughs> yeah. I was like yo if I'm not gonna drink cuss curse smoke you know fuck you know you you're not going to be doing this other shit and me not call you out on it. So I was like a, pretty much a religious dickhead on campus oh, man. for my four years because I was like, <laughs> I was I was about minds as uh-huh. were, at the time. Yeah. 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 You might want to look this up out there. Uh, you might want to look up uh, gospel gangsters. It was also a really <laughs> wow. interesting time too because there was like people, a lot of these religious crusades were running through Southern California hmm. and ex-gang members, ex-artists, like ex-surfers, early, ex- early 90s, early 90s. ex-skaters. A lot of cool, mo- cool motherfuckers were getting yeah. converted. Huh. And then we're channeling our creative energies into this new medium, you know what I'm saying? Which had these rules that we oh, often, a new message. A new message, but yeah. a message, because I didn't grow up with the message. I didn't grow right. up with the purpose. I didn't grow up with the worldview. I didn't grow up with the philosophy, a theology, a literature, a canon to study, church fathers, saints, you know what I'm saying? Like, this like gave me a lot huh. to work with and develop kind of more basic skills that you know even though I no longer you know identify as an evangelical Christian a lot of what it gave me I continue to use in sure. what I do or whatever sure sure but as a student at Oxy I was like hardcore about minds started my <laughs> own organization because like cats were really down it turned out to be like the Christians of color who <laughs> had to be I think more radical because if they were going to be like, yo, I'm not going to do all this. Like, I'm black, I'm Mexican, and I'm not going to yeah. be wilding out on campus. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to be in the middle, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't be at the party. I didn't go to any parties, bro. Hmm. I was like, go- I was going rapping and shit. Or I was going to different churches. I was yeah. reading my bio. I was doing all this weird shit. <laughs> uh, and I went to seminary to uh-huh. continue that. So it, it gave me an intellectual pursuit as well. So because I was on a college campus and I was believing these kind of weird things... I had to defend these weird things yeah, yeah, yeah. by digging into philosophy and theology and just kind of coming up with these way out arguments, uh-huh. which I continue to pursue. That's why I went and got a master's degree in philosophy at a seminary, because my plan was to be a philosophy professor, a Christian philosophy professor who can say, hey, you don't have to be forsake your mind in order to be religious or whatever. That was my whole angle Yeah, yeah. for, for a while. Um, and so... After I graduated from seminary, though, by the time when I was in the middle of seminary, I already started to have this dissonance where when I was living and going to school at Oxy and I was around a bunch of people who were like committed to living the same kind of life, it was easier to do. Sure. Once I graduated and I was back in the hood, literally living at my grandma's, going to graduate school, mm-hmm. substituting in the hood um, with my cousins who live across the street, my brothers who and cousins who are in gangs, weed smoke, <laughs> it's all going down. Like, yeah. SGD, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that... It, I was, it was harder to maintain sure. that identity. And then that was, after I graduated, I said, you know what, I'm going to backpack through. Uh, when I was in grad school, uh, I got a grant to go to China for six weeks mm. to study food and friendship. Because <laughs> when I was at Oxy, my come up, again, there, 
my come up was writing a food review column for the student paper, but it was all comedy. It was called The Taste Buds. It was me and my homeboy, black dude, who's now a professor there, who would go out and just write funny shit about restaurants and get paid for it. So that was our come up. Grand opportunity emerged. We pitched ourselves to go to China for six weeks, a black dude and a Mexican dude, <laughs> to see what it's like, which is what we did. When I was there, freestyled on the Great Wall of China. <laughs> but I also met some Australian cats who were on some like, yeah, mate, we've been on this tour six months. We've been going around the world. And I was like, oh, shit, like people do that. So I was like, I'm going to go home, stack some chips. I'm going to do the same thing, which is what I did after graduating seminary. I backpacked through Mexico and Guatemala for six months with my homeboy, the white dude, fellow MC. Didn't speak Spanish either, but we basically fucking... Discover, discovered Mexico, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, just, yeah. By, yeah. just by hitchhiking and shit. Yeah, nice. It was really dope. Um, so what year was that? That was 2001. Okay. And it happened. We departed like late September of 2001. And uh, it was interesting to see how Mexico treated Americans in the wake of September 11th, bro. Yeah. Because we were straight up Americans. My homeboy looked like a white, Jesus, like a white boy Jesus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I can't speak Spanish. If I do, I sound like a fucking Russian or whatever. <laughs> um, so they're like Americano, and I remember people would be like, "La guerra, la guerra, like America, like <laughs> yeah, we yeah. got your back," type shit. Like, uh-huh. yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Huh. <laughs> like, Fuck America or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but it was a dope opportunity for me to get to know Mexico in a in a get to know Mexico or discover it, certain parts of it, and to do interesting things. I really fell in love with Oaxaca at the time, so much so that later, you know, 2007, I got married in Oaxaca. Um, we had a destination wedding down there. Um, and I've gone back since, um, celebrate our anniversary and take our kids. Um, but I came back, before I left, I didn't really have a connection to my Mexican identity. Hmm. Um, and having done that, I don't, you know, I don't identify as Mexican or Mexican national or... Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I have an appreciation for it. I understand it more um, and I identify it with it more so that when the opportunity to write for Mundos came up on some Latino shit, even when I was in college, I was opposed to ethnic identity. Hmm. I thought it was an encumbrance to spiritual identity. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Oh, bro, you're caught up in all this like political shit. There's a <laughs> heavenly kingdom, bro. Like, why, you wanna, <laughs> like, like, why you want to tussle over this shit or whatever? That's, um, it. That's our next phase. <laughs> We're trying to pull them in with the ethnicity stuff, and then eventually we'll flip the script and uh, <laughs> astrology. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so that's so. That's why I felt comfortable identifying as Latino and working in Latino media. And then continuing, like, when I took on a different rap name, it was Bookworm Brown. Like, so I took that brown as a way of, like, connecting to that that experience and identity. Yeah, yeah. That's a a journey, man. (laughs) Yeah, it was was dope. Street performing, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. In English, motherfuckers would be like... Spanish? <laughs> I can't, bro. I don't care. I, don't care. <laughs> I have some footage. It's cool. Because now I feel like there's a, like a huge rap scene in Mexico, and like yeah. across the world. But I think in Mexico, I, I'm not even really aware of like how deep it runs. But I feel like <clears throat> like a lot of Latin America um, is doing just like the whole world is doing like trap shit. They're doing like hip hop stuff. Right. There's a lot of like rap is taking over basically. So I'm trying to say in that that it's like. It's crazy to see, you know, in the last, like, even 20 years, how much it's kind of taken over. And um, when you when you were doing Bookworm and, and that, um, 
that stuff like what was your goal at the time what did you want like or what were you trying to do like what was this i guess even more too like what was the scene like back then because that was here in la that was highland park right yeah yeah there was um that basically coincided with the emergence of mundos ctv alley tv a bunch of media initiatives that provided a little bit of fuel to what was happening so i think that and that was pre early social media too like myspace ish and whatever so there was some fuel, new found fuel there too. You're getting a bunch of people, and then there's you know the democratization of media, or whatever. You had fools from Milwaukee <laughs> making fucking Chicano rap or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, then you know Arizona, the Texas, the California, the Bay Area. They've always been about it. Here in LA, um, there was that whack moment which we had to cover in Big Up, where there was like the Aquid moment or whatever. When there was like some really, I don't know if you remember this, Aquid JP. Flockies is like really Gennaro Spanish rap hmm. that Univision and the label started putting money into. Hmm. So there was some fuel there as well. I don't know why I never really. I mean, there, I don't think there's. It was day, primarily Spanish shit. It was Spanish, and there was some English. Um, there's some of us who were doing. Then bilingual was really the mm-hmm. is what the market wanted or whatever. Right. I was always on doing some just like pro like underground English as if I never heard of fucking even I didn't even want to identify with Hispanic or Latino rap because I was on some MC shit uh-huh. but then it was like well I went to Mexico like I'm gonna fuck with you even if I don't think you rap dope as dope <laughs> as you could or we should or whatever the fuck like right. let's just do this shit as a movement so uh, I was excited to just participate in that and yeah. just be one voice on the spectrum and Who? so you're, you named a few but who were like the biggest kind of acts like those in the aughts like those mid early aughts like yeah the, uh, yeah uh um, kind of rap and whatever oh then you also had i mean i guess that was a little rob moment the cholo the yeah. down bling like a cholo um <laughs> chingo bling <laughs> yeah <laughs> a I, mean, later. I don't know i didn't really mess with it like that as a consumer so i was yeah there, there was a lot of happening on the underground though you know what i mean so yeah like in la there were 20 rappers on a show <laughs> and 22 people in some at the, <laughs> at the event or whatever. Yeah. 22 uh, <laughs> fans and 20 rappers. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting now. Have you guys been up on this, like, uh, was it like Latin Beast TV or whatever? No. Yeah, peep it out. It's like the new Latin, Latin hip-hop IG page, hmm. which is featuring a lot of uh, MCs from all over the country. Oh, mm. nice. On some Chicano, Latino shit. Hmm. It's interesting to see. Now, back then, when you were doing Mundos and you said, you know, you were meeting a bunch of kind of up-and-coming acts and you got to kind of be in the mix of... I mean, that was probably, like you said, the highest, certainly on an industry level in the media in the media landscape. That was where people were putting... Was it Univision or Telemundo? No, Telemundo, yeah. Telemundo. Putting money into this and whatever. So you got to kind of be in the mix with acts and stuff. Like, one of the things we always talk about is, like, how people collaborate or not and whether that community embraces itself and helps each other up. Like, what did you get the right. sense from back then? Was well, it crabs kind of... in the bucket, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, was it kind of people helping each other out or just kind of doing their own thing? Or what did you, did you ever feel like? Um, that's tough to say. You know, when I do hear the crabs in the bucket uh, critique, I imagine that's true. I don't know if it's especially true of us. I mean, maybe there's limited opportunities and that might make us feel like we have to be more competitive but um let's see i think collaboration for latinos on the west coast sometimes came down to like uh 
um, what neighborhoods you were from because I already knew off top, even though I didn't was it was like I couldn't really collaborate with fools hmm. from certain parts. Not because I was even in a gang or nothing like that, but if they knew where I lived, they just assumed I was like right. I knew someone, so that's that's grounds for hmm. you know what I'm saying whatever. So for me, it was always like kind of yeah yeah yeah. Be, you had to be careful about collaborations in that sort. Damn. The black-brown collaborations were always stunted because of street politics. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there have been talks of dope black-brown industry-wide collaborations in hip-hop here on the West Coast in L.A. for at least 15, 20 years Fuck, that yeah. never really materialized. Shit. Um, and that's some street shit, presumably. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, do I don't think, know. I was just going to say, like, do you think like the that the internet has maybe kind of made that possible more so than... You're not really tripping off like street shit or, or maybe sure. neighborhoods or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now the internet, you can just fucking send files to someone across the fucking country and collaborate in that way. Yeah, the like being an entrepreneur is a new gangster type thing. Too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like if you're Rest about your peace, hustle. hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you could, if you like Steve oh, I'm about making money or whatever, then maybe you can slide on, on some of those things. So it's like, uh, you know, yeah, for sure the internet allows for more collaboration. Nobody's really set tripping. set tripping like that. They're more like, can we make money? Because that's the new, that's the new G thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, how long were you at Mundos? How long did that go? And like, what what was after that? That went for a year and a half. Um, then, I worked at a company as a staff writer and producer called Associated Television International for nine years. Um, my next job, I was able to put my master's degree to work. It was writing. A, doc, a Bible documentary hosted by Sir Roger Moore, huh. you know, 007. You know, as I mentioned, like one thing Christianity gave me was like an intellectual and theological like history and pursuit. And so this documentary just happened to be like an apologetic for Bible truths. It was initially called Bible Proven, hmm. um, but it was basically summoning arguments to demonstrate the veracity, scientific even, of some of these crazy <laughs> biblical Oh shit, the light just flickered as you said that. I'm not even fucking <laughs> <laughs> I think you're uh, legitimately onto something. Yeah, this... <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Interview over. <laughs> oh, that was dope. Oh, the so com- you did that through, through ATI? Or? Through ATI. Okay. The company, ATI, was interesting because at the time they had a relationship with Walmart where we were spinning uh-huh. out direct-to-DVD yeah. documentaries yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that were takes on popular titles. So when oh. Pirates of the Caribbean came out, <laughs> we came out with the real Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> with a cover that looked indiscernible yeah. from and it sold for three ninety nine. So if you're at Walmart... This is 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. You're in Walmart. You see these titles. You're like, oh, snap. $3.99. <laughs> and you get home and you're Was it like a documentary? Yep. Okay. So, so it was about. Okay. Exactly. So Interesting. I that's, a, was, that's a good business model. <laughs> that was dope at the time. It gave me a chance to travel over the country and produce uh, four documentaries. Where I, uh, one on the WWE. <laughs> so <laughs> where I basically like read books, identified experts. Reached out to wrestlers, got a cease and desist from fucking Jim Jim McMahon, yeah. Um, But produced a documentary called WWE Unauthorized, which is straight trash. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Only to be confirmed by the uh, online review, because, like, if you thought the Bible had its fanatics, like, 
the WWE, oh, bro, geez. like fact-checking every fucking <laughs> assertion, bro. Like, anyways, there's a review online of, of that documentary that has like 150,000 views, bro. Oh shit! Murdering it, <laughs> murdering it. Anyway, but uh, they pay. I basically learned on my feet. You know, what I'm saying I yeah, travel yeah. with the cameraman, assistant cameraman. I'm writing all the questions. I'm asking them. I'm in the editing bay with the editor. I'm putting together the paper cut. I'm producing a documentary mm-hmm. um, by myself. So it was like yeah. American Idol, Oprah, NASCAR. So I had to, while I was doing that, the company had other projects that I'd also worked on at the same time. So I had the chance to do a lot of cool shit while nice. I was at that company, including uh, being a senior story producer on Bristol Palin's uh, <laughs> Lifetime Reality Holy Series. Holy shit. So I was up in Wasilla at the <laughs> at the Palin compound. Holy shit! Wow. Uh, this was the uh, light flickered again. No, I'm just yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that they was are religious, aren't they? They say they are. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, like one takeaway is like how pliable the my mind is. Like, of course, like before I work for them or with them or whatever, I'd be like pieces of shit. It's like yeah. give me a break. But when you're with someone. It's just inevitable. You're like, oh, I understand why you're acting this way. Or yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, take Bristol, for example. Like, she's a single mom. Yeah. Baby's daddy's a piece of shit. Exactly. Her mom's a weirdo. Uh-huh. But if your mom's a weirdo, aren't you going to ride for your mom? <laughs> like, what kind of piece of no. shit is it? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, so, like, then you're like, okay, I see what's going on. Oh, Willow, she's acting out a little bit because of this or that. Or, like, oh, <laughs> I see what's going on here. Like, uh. So, in conversation, I'm like, hey, guys, come on, like. She ain't that bad, bro. So anyways. Yeah. Of course, once I was done working on like, these pieces of shit. So, <laughs> um, but it was an interesting look into that world. And also a dope opportunity to, you know, to work on a reality show in that way. Um, so I was there for like eight or nine years and did, did some cool and fun, fun shit. I produced a Bible show for the American Bible Society. So hmm. I left church only to get like sucked into this company that <laughs> put me into all this he church He came shit, back bro. for profit. <laughs> <laughs> It was a, I did a show about people doing interesting things with the Bible all huh. over the country, bro. So I just fly out there. There's this gay Episcopalian uh, priest who has a cookbook based on the Bible. There's a Mexican <laughs> and black dude in Duluth, Georgia with a Christian car club. And then yeah, there's yeah. like a cancer charity in Milwaukee and like just a bunch of just hmm. weird, interesting stories. Around. Yeah, yeah. And really at the end, like it really fed my interest in people and curiosity. I don't know if you guys up on Studs Terkel. I know who to. He's a yeah, he's a writer, right? An interviewer. Yeah, he's an interviewer, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like an oral historian. Yeah, way. I have a, a, one of his books. Yeah, uh, he has a book on work called Working, which is pretty dope. Okay, um, he just talks with people and just asks them questions about their job. He doesn't really say much. It's just fascinating things that come out of the mouth of a waitress when you sit and talk and ask her serious questions about their work or whatever. Right. And so even though you know, so that kind of show gave me an opportunity to meet. Yeah. clergy and different interesting people at a time where I thought I was trying to distance myself from this whole world or whatever yeah so that was that was interesting and cool crazy so it was, it was kind of fun all over the place shit yeah, yeah. so, yeah. so what, what do you do now exactly what what is your what's right. your label what is your right. flow <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> right now I work at a company called Quantacy I've been there for almost five years okay Quantacy is a creative agency what I didn't know when I was working in television was that there was this world of agencies I thought yeah. all the cool people were in television or whatever. Right. But as it turns out, there was this whole world where people called themselves creatives and shit like that. Uh-huh. Like, okay. Interesting. Um, and what I came to learn, well, like this, it's, a, it's 
a digital agency that recently acquired a larger, more traditional agency in the last six months. So now we're a full service creative agency. But when I started, I was brought on to develop content platforms for brand and celebrity partners. So it was like the agency had relationships with Magic Johnson, Mariah Carey, Becky G, Roland Martin, you know, Steve Harvey, you know, <laughs> the list goes on. I was responsible for creating, for developing the sites, creating the content by commissioning freelancers from all over the country mm. and developing the social media strategy to monetize our efforts or whatever. Yeah. And we did that for a couple of years when that was a viable business. At the time, it was a small company, so I was always working on different things. You know what I'm saying? I'd be working on that plus a, a commercial or uh, some kind of brand activation. For the last uh, year or so, we've our agency has taken on a larger role in producing and managing Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud content platform. So right now, I'm responsible for helping shape and develop the content and the strategy for the network and the shows that come out on the network. Right. Uh, but it's an agency that's relatively small, so I'll, I'll work on a bunch of different things in addition to this. Um, so one thing we're just recently completing that was kind of fun and dope and an opportunity for me to be intentional about casting Latinos was this AT&T campaign. I don't know if you guys might have seen some of it. Uh, they're running like the, the numbers. Thing? Yep, it's a two one three thing. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're doing that all across the country. And there's a there's a radio campaign. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard yeah. those. Those are yeah, pretty yeah. dope. We didn't produce those, but I thought they were really smart. We're responsible for producing the video campaign for these four different cities. So I was responsible for casting the talent and developing the content that they were gonna be talking about. We chose comedians that were representative from each of the cities, but it was like New York, Atlanta, Chicago, and LA. Hmm. New York, we had our comedians. We really weren't gonna be able to find, well, we were already settled on the two comedians there. Um, in Chicago, although I looked for Latino comedians from Chicago, I couldn't really find anybody that was popping on social. Hmm. Same was true in Atlanta. And it, to my surprise, it was true in L.A. too. Like, I don't know how wide you'd cast the net for what counts as Latino comedy talent online. <laughs> um, but, like, if you take out the guys who wear dresses and do, like, shit like that, yeah. it's a really small group. You're talking about, like, basically, like, comedians slash influencers. Right. People who have a ton of followers as opposed to who are just, like, stand-ups who might have, like, 5,000 followers. Right. Right. Well, in this case, well, yes, we were looking for people who had some social influence. And even though that was true, the fact that we had uh, influencers part of the campaign who had millions of followers allowed me to justify suggesting a Latino comedian who was funny, smart, advanced, progressive to be part of the campaign, even though he only had 15,000 followers. Sure. Um, so that wouldn't have happened unless I said in a meeting, well, it's the two and three, how are we not going to have a fucking Latino? Like, right. we just can't. Like, <laughs> yes, we have 15 other names here, but like, yes, they all have bigger followings, but no. <laughs> like, yeah. we yeah, can't yeah. do that shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the reason. We, that's all the shit we talk was for like a moment, like for me to say, like, say something, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So that was dope as an opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's always a fine balance because there's like, I mean, I don't know who is big right now, but I would say, you know, like four or five years ago, you had like, you know, Jay Mendoza 
And uh, what's the other guy? The little guy? No, I forget his name. Uh, it was Jay, Jay and his buddy, basically. And, uh, Jay. The Vine, when Vine was... Right. Viners, big. yeah, yeah. And then, the like, a really couple of YouTubers, so you have, like... Oscar something, I think. Yeah, Oscar. Is. Oscar yeah. Mendoza. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's Jay Mendoza and Oscar. Something, yeah. I think they're, like... They're Central American, but they're L.A. Um, funny on social, not stand-up comedians. Right. Not the most progressive or, like, smart, if you will. Like, right. when you're thinking of a campaign that's going to be featuring a voice other than a, a visual gag. Right. Um, you had, like, Super Ego. Mm-hmm. There's also, like... Lil Moco. Lil Moco. They're kind of more YouTubers. They were probably the two biggest yeah. YouTubers and that sort of thing. Right. And then, yeah, you start thinking about building a campaign around them. And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so do you guys see that as an opportunity? I mean, it, it's, um, it's an opportunity, but it's also a challenge. I mean, I've met a lot of these guys and kind of, you know, they're all really cool people and they're good people and they're trying to do good work, but they're also not used to, um, you know, writing scripts right? and thinking of things other than in the way that has been successful for them online, which is, again, like visual gags. Um, you can go to, uh, we were talking about um, the guy who always has like the hot chicks. He's like Puerto Rican or something. Um, what's the guy's name? Um Tone, tone, um, yeah, Tonio, Tonio, Tonio skits, skits, you know, like, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know Tonio, so I can't really speak to him, but he's got a very, like, he's got a formula that works for him on Facebook. Now, how that translates to a campaign, like the two and three campaign, or to a film script, or to a TV show, that's where the challenge is, because, like, yeah, those guys are, they clearly got famous using that formula that has worked for them online, now, Taking that into a different platform, I've found challenging with the few people that I've worked with. I won't name them. They're all good people, but it becomes, it, that's the challenge, the right. creative challenge is how do you take it to the next step? Um, you know, I think like I always tell people when they talk about either becoming a filmmaker or like a personality like that is like, yo, you just got to read a lot. You got to be like smart <laughs> and you have to know how to write. You know, you have to know how to tell stories regardless of what media or whatever, you know. And that seems to me where it always kind of ends up falling apart is like, you know, when you're doing the formula, the slapstick sort of thing, it's not necessarily kind of storytelling. It's, it's again, like a visual gag or a right. joke, you know. Um, so I always tell people to just focus on their fundamentals and like right. forget about the mechanics of, story, of uh, filmmaking. Yeah, we're in like a really strange space especially like in the post vine era of like um of someone like do you know who supreme patty is the, no he's this like kid from florida he's probably like 20 something early 20s and uh, he's just really fucking obnoxious he's basically like a fucking like kind of revels in his white trashiness <laughs> and he does fucking crazy shit he has like you know like 10 million followers or something is this a skater? No, he's not a skater. No. That guy's cool. I like Roy Purdy. I really I like Supreme Patty too. He just gets really fucking obnoxious sometimes. But yeah, they're not necessarily like they're they're looking for something that's gonna get a shitload of likes. Mm-hmm. Right. So when mm-hmm. you see like some of these like I was a huge fucking fan of Jackass. I was like obsessed with that show. I think one of the reasons I really liked it was because even though it was stupid ass shit, it was like they were smart about their skits. They were like they would they would do like a funny like visual gag or they there was something smart about those kind of sketches whereas nowadays on instagram it's just like oh i'm gonna smoke a blunt inside of walmart right you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because uh right because part of the beauty in comedy for me is watching 
escalation of the humor and the stakes or whatever. Yeah. And in a short form context, gotta get you kind of don't even kind of kind of escalate. You just get that yeah. one, the first hit. And it's uh-huh. like okay, that's dope. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then we go back, and there's just always that same hit. Then it's like, all right, this is homeboy. And yeah. For a campaign of this sort, might make sense. Yeah. But I'm even like taking a step back, and it's like, how do we cultivate just more Latino comedic voices? You know. Yeah. So yeah, that well, there's the, a range. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like even Latino or whatever it might be, are all trending towards that shock sort of what's trending right now, and you know, to their credit or to the like, they would argue like. They're they're getting like ridiculous brand opportunities. I'm assuming. Right. They like they like. There's like weed is like a huge thing. Like the people. I don't know if you follow that one guy. The one I forget. He's from out here. He's like, what's good, y'all? He's like this Mexican kid who just basically literally smokes weed. No, he's like, what's good, y'all? And then he just like takes a hit of a bong, and he gets sponsored that way, right? So there's right. no actual. There's nothing deep. There's nothing crafty or smart about it. But it's just literally him smoking weed and he's and he gets you know, I'm assuming he gets paid well to do that shit you know so if right. you're like a 20 year old kid who is like am I gonna try and make smart content or am I gonna try and get fucking 10 grand for this fucking like well, random sponsorship like they're gonna go with like what well, do you like think the, um, transparency I was thinking about this in the workspace too do you think like transparency <clears throat> would help in this case do you think if we all knew because like p- part of me wonders how much of this is smoke and mirrors like A we know big audiences don't equate to high engagement or high right. views or whatever, even high reach. You know what I'm saying? Three percent of your audience only sees something, people ain't really fucking with whatever. So it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um are people really making money? Like that'd be dope to really find I out. I don't think they are actually. <laughs> I don't think it's that sustainable. And you know, there's like that guy or whoever, there's a few people who get a few deals and they're like they'll talk about it or whatever, but I don't think it's sustainable long term. Yeah, it's like fast cash. It's right. fast like, cash. Like, yeah. do you know who Jenny Six Nine is? Do you follow her? No. no. She's also from out here. Another okay. sort of Instagrammer, YouTuber, super Mexican. Okay. She's like really attractive. Makeup or what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was about to say. Like, see, that's sustainable because it's directly tied to, to a product. product. Yeah. Exactly. And, and makeup an industry is that right in, now. in an industry, it's a format basically. Right. You know. Yeah. And so that 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 works. I mean, I right. get that. Um, you know. Um, again, I don't know. Like, I feel like. You were when I just walked back in here because I went to go feed the cats. <laughs> um, you're asking about like you know bringing in or pulling in more Latinos or whatever, and I think it's just a matter of like I think I don't know. I just keep telling like people like focus on the storytelling, focus on like your craft, and like don't worry about it being Latino or whatever. Like right. you're you're Latino, you're you know, right. that that makes it Latino content. That's right. Uh, that's enough, right? So tell whatever story you want to tell, but get good at it. You know, like learn what it means to. You know, whatever, have a beginning, a middle, and end, a conflict, an escalation, blah, blah, blah. Like, the just the regular rules of storytelling and... TV. Plato. <laughs> Dramatic structure. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's a ton of templates that you can follow. Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's the hero's journey. There's that, whatever it is, you know. And, and so learn about all those. Know the tools of the trade because that's what successful people typically have done. Whether they've learned that by going to film school and or buying books or whatever it is but inevitably like a you have to kind of know like that craft you have to have it funded well enough to do it in a quality way and then there's the secret sauce and you can't really teach this it's like do you have a compelling unique vision you have to join scientology (laughs) (laughs) you have to go on a crusade Um, (laughs) 
But yeah, I mean, there's a part of it that you can't teach, but there's a lot that you can. And that's where I think a lot of people like you start looking for like what Sammy said, like the fast cash, like what can I do? Like, oh, what is Jay doing? Or what is, you know, Tonyo doing? Let, let me do some of that. And I think you can get distracted <laughs> by thinking that that's what's going to work, but it's not going to work long term. You know, like you do have to learn how to be a good storyteller and how to pull a good team together. Right. And like how to like finish a project beginning to end because hire fine chicks big t- no, yeah. <laughs> it works every time it works but you know you know i think you also just have to decide like what what matters to you as a media maker like what kind of stories do you want to tell titties no. yeah. <laughs> hey if that's what you want to do i want to be the next girls gone wild dude what's that guy's name <laughs> what was that guy's name joe yeah joe something yeah joe in jail <laughs> did he go to jail he did. Yeah. Maybe for some money thing, not, yeah. not on some yeah, yeah. shit. But yeah. yeah. Francis. Joe, Joe, Joe Francis. Francis. That's right. <laughs> we were trying to figure out this guy's name. We were talking about this the other day. Could not remember that guy. So, so let me float this theory uh, related to Latinos in the media and what are maybe our next, the next iteration of our come oh, up shit, might be. the lights not <laughs> flickering once again. Um, you know, we've had this run of this recent digital push for Latino focused content. Uh, that shit didn't work out business-wise. Right. Um, that's the Me Too's. That's right. a, the Not Remezcla. Because they're still seemingly doing okay. Right. But they're not doing... People argue... I've had this conversation whether that's like original content or not. But they're not... It's more like a news... I don't right. know what you'd call that. It's like a it's like lifestyle kind of cultural... They do produce their own shit every right. once in a while. But like not, scripted? No, no. But yeah. the business... The money is, is coming from their agency that does sure. the branded deals. They're not getting enough scale in readership to make money on ads i yeah. can tell you that off top that's yeah. sure the biggest publishers with the biggest followings are struggling to make that business work right. so they probably have a relatively low overhead they're the only players in the game that i can st- me too has a branded arm that's also doing work that's generating the revenue for me too whatever yeah. revenue that is so it's a it's a business model viability question like what kind of business model can you build? I went to meet through one day to visit, and there were like sixty-five employees. Damn! And I went. I was like, "Fucking a Facebook page with three million followers has sixty-five, 65 employees, <laughs> and I'm running a page. Becky G's page has whatever six million followers. I can see how many people we reach and shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. It's not you, you can't get scale with one page with three million followers or whatever. Yeah. So the business has to be something different than that. Yeah. And if you can build a business that's a little smarter. Then you can probably make it. You could probably make it work. I think the next iteration, our best bet is going to be by being part. We were looking for a Latino media company, Univision, the Telemundos, to step up, and that happened. But Univision's commitment was short-lived with Flama. Mm, Telemundo right. never launched anything. Uh, so I think we're going to look at maybe black companies, uh, African-American-owned companies, and see if someone in leadership at one of these companies sees the opportunity, kind of the cultural kinship, all the ways in which we might collaborate to do, you know, big tent projects or whatever. It, seem, it seems to me that, well, go ahead. Yeah, yeah so that's, I'm, I'm, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe we should be looking at that or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of ending up, like, in this nihilistic, like, giving up on the tentpole a media company based around a culture and just instead like you could i i believe there is a space for a like a production company or a creative company in some way to spearhead a lot of projects in this space but i kind of i'm kind of starting to think that each of the each of the 
projects to just live on their own brand. Right. You know, so whether you have like a show like Stranger Things with Latino kids or like on my block or whatever it is, right? That's its own company. Or that, let that live on its own and let that be distributed on a non, like an agnostic, culturally agnostic platform like Netflix or Hulu. There's enough Latinos that will discover it on those platforms where I think it still makes sense to have a business model where they're, you know, like basically like, you know, I don't know, like uh, Ryan Seacrest or whoever, they have their own production companies, right? There, there exists, I think there is a space for somebody to own a production company that is focusing on projects like this, but they don't need to be all branded Me Too right. or Remezcla. They should be branded on the merits of their own like property, you know, and then just let them live. Put them on Hulu, get the deal on Hulu, get the deal on Showtime or HBO right. or wherever. And then that also gives them the opportunity to go mainstream in a way that they maybe wouldn't if they were just on Telemundo or something like that. I think that's kind of I, I think that's kind of what Macro is doing. Macro, you hear the name, it's not black, it's just macro. Mm-hmm. They're spearheading a lot of African American uh, oriented and people they're doing gentified, which is a Latino thing, but basically they're creating content that is probably for an audience that is underserved, but they're not branding the brand that way. They're letting the projects live on their own. Right. I think it seems like that's a more natural way to do it. White people aren't like, hey, this is a white people channel. You know? <laughs> that's because they've been like it's, it's the their channel. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I think like there's a natural pushback by some audience goers, including people in the own in the segment we're trying to reach. This is like I don't need to be sure. marketed this way. Right. Just tell yeah. me a good story. Yeah, yeah. You no, know? but is it is I, I expect to see a doubling down though on this whole let ethnic focus media because of demographic shift, right? So like Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but again, I don't think you need a, an entire brand around it. Maybe, you know, and there already exists some, whether it's Telemundo or whatever. Right. But I I just Oh wait, if you had an opportunity to build a modern day Univision, which is to say a media company that quote unquote like owned this demo and spoke to this demo in its language, would you something is that something you'd want to helm or you're just like that's an old I, I personally project. myself would just want to work on specific projects. That's kind of where I'm at, honestly. Right. Like, just because like I've, you know, just by trying to do this madre as we've done it, like, I, it's, it's been a great experience. It's been a great learning experience. But more personally, like, I like the writing part. I like the digging into the specific project and not so much trying to do everything right to do a network and aggregate and that's fun and i think that was it's been an awesome learning experience and i think right now we're taking it as like okay the podcast it's more personal now right and that's where i've ended up moving as a creator um and you know i think maybe somebody would want to do that i don't know but personally not me i don't think right and I, whether that's sustainable i also don't know right would i if i had a shitload of money would i put my money into it i'm not sure I would put it more into a macro-like model. Sure. And, you know, because there's also a ton of risk and a lot more responsibility for doing the network yourself. You're talking about the minimum viable product. How do you monetize that? Fuck, put that on somebody else. And the scale of mixing it up with other cultures is, is makes, lessens the risk. Right. Right? So the Hulus or the Netflix, even those guys are probably not making money. Right. There's enough risk there. You know, to the point where like they need to diversify in their offerings 
And it's also like we were talking about Apple as a brand who's getting into media. You know, they're going to be branding their stuff in a very safe way. They've already said it. They're they're doing the Oprah, the Spielberg, the whatever. And content creators who are working with them, these are top level producers, are saying like, oh, wow, we're getting weird notes. We can't push the envelope. <laughs> right. You know, whereas Netflix is like, do whatever. Right. You know, they're just, they just, the Netflix brand is no brand. Right. It's just watch anytime, anywhere. That's the brand. And I think that's kind of smart. Um, it gives you huge scale. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I would be more interested in working on a macro-like model. But, again, I don't personally want to do that right now because I actually, I would rather run a show. Right. I would rather specifically work on a piece of content that I'm super passionate about. Uh, because honestly, I think I would probably get jealous and be like, damn, I want to be that guy. Like, <laughs> right, right, I want right. to be working yeah, yeah. on that show. I don't want to just be like giving notes. Right. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's tricky, man. I do think there's potential and there's there should be a lot more collaboration between like the black and brown communities just because there's also there's a there's a lot of shared learnings, you know, right. They've made a lot of um, mistakes and sacrifices where we wouldn't have to do that again by like, right. collaborating you know like they've made those mistakes they've they've seen the pitfalls and so and then there's there in from their point of view i mean that's what benefits us from their point of view what benefits them is like you said the scale right and the opportunity the financial opportunity to to really reach this market but you know the other challenge there is that our market is not as homogenous as theirs sure like they're not an african-american Right. You know, we're like everything, like right. all the different countries and different levels of immigrants and like <laughs> Yeah, and disproportionate um strength given to Latino demographics that are maybe uh, smaller than Mexican American demographics. Yeah. So that you have Cubans and Puerto Ricans, you know what I'm saying, really steering a lot of what's happening. Yeah. Um in, in terms of leadership for media companies, right. for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird space, man. I, I, I'm not going to say, like, I've been burnt or jaded on it because I think I've learned a lot. But I feel like I've kind of come back and been like, you know, I think we, we mentioned on, a, on the last podcast that we're working on a script right now. And, man, that's been so refreshing. Right. You know, just, like, literally, like, Sammy and I and Chingo, you know, we're basically co-writing this thing. We sat down for a weekend. We had the concept already. But we outlined it in one weekend. We're like, hey, we feel pretty good about this. And then I did the first draft and like over five weeks. I just wake up every morning, 5 a.m., write for two, three hours, go do my day job. Right. And then five weeks, I mean, I was sitting there like I wanted to fucking cry when I finished wow, this thing. Wow, that's dope. I was like, wow, okay, we got a script. It's a, it's a full length It's a feature length script, yeah, yeah. Dope. And, and that's kind of where we're thinking is like, we're, I want to have like a few uh, feature length projects and a couple of you know TV shows, which you're familiar with some of these ideas because we've talked about before. Right. But want to have like right right now for one of those ideas for the TV shows, we're working on a season one outline, and we're just gonna write the pilot. Right. And we're gonna have those things ready to go pitch to whoever you know wants to do that. And that's kind of like I feel like if we have enough of those irons in the fire, one of them is gonna hit. Right. And then you have a few ready to go behind that. You, I, right. you know, if that's if there's also one thing I've learned, it's that you have to have another project ready to go. Right. Like right behind the one because that's people that people will be like, well, what do you got? And then they don't want to wait. Right. Come in now. Pitch me what's next. So you always have to be ready. And I feel like, you know, surrounding yourself with good people like 
you know, Sammy or Chingo, like yourself, people who kind of value the storytelling component and the quality of, of uh, the product, um, you can do it and you have to trust people and you have to want to collaborate. That's the other thing I've learned is like you have to be able to collaborate with people because the, the, the amount of work is huge. Yeah, low-key, just as a, sh- like as a note to anyone who might be listening, like I'm watching, like I get encouraged by moves other people are making. Um, so like, you know, light a fire under my ass by doing shit. So I would just encourage people, of course, just to make more shit, put yeah. it out there, collaborate, make yeah. even more. And let's, let's do something, you know what I'm saying? This is, you know, of course, it's maybe a little navel-gazing, but I'd like to think this is a unique moment in mm-hmm. our kind of creative history you know what i mean mm-hmm. at least especially for you know mexican americans so let's let's leave a mark yeah you know what i mean that's that's kind of our job and big ups to what you guys are doing you guys are making culture documenting it sharing it spreading it participating in the conversation generating conversation so um big ups to you guys and what you guys are up to yeah man Respect. we definitely got to you know keep in touch and like you said, you know, we're going to be trying to come down here on a lot more regular basis, meet up with people, collaborate. And like, you have to just kind of be part of the mix too. And like, we were talking about the concept of networking. Right. And like, it's something like we're almost like, we kind of cringe at it because it just seems corny or it seems like super intentional. But <laughs> um, I think the the idea, like in, in the past, like I've thought of networking as like always meeting people above and trying to get something. Hmm. Whereas I think now I'm like a little more like, no, I need to pe- meet people at my level and and collaborate. Right. Like I don't need, the, the, there shouldn't, I, I'm not I'm not trying to ask for anything. I'm just trying to meet dope people who want to put in work right. and do cool stuff and who have good taste, good style. And um, bring I, micheladas to the motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like the power of social, bro. Like just, it could be really strategic. I, um. Saw that this dude was making a documentary on Oscar Zeta Acosta. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? Who is this dude? Huh. Oh, he made a documentary on Ruben Salazar. Oh, nice. Let me see what this is about. Oh, this is kind of dope. You know what? It just so happened my great uncle owned the bar that Ruben Salazar, the, the Silver Dollar Bar, yeah, that Ruben Salazar died. was in where he died. Yeah. Oh, shit. So I reached out to the dude. I was like, hey, I don't know if you knew this part of the story. I don't know. I was just trying to be of help to dude. Yeah. Philip Rodriguez, the producer and director. And he was like, oh, no, I'm good, bro. Like, I whatever I'm done with the project or whatever yeah. but I was like hey if you ever want to get I invited him if you ever want to get coffee let's chop it up and he accepted the invitation at that coffee appointment we started chopping it up even more he needed a social media producer for his next documentary mm-hmm. this Oscar Zeta Acosta thing um, and I fell right in the spot uh, and then produced a bunch of social media around right. the project that really performed really well and we were all really proud of and PBS was really proud of too and so that was just all off the strength of being, and it wasn't. I wasn't trying to come up per se. Right. I did want to meet the dude. Yeah. I didn't know he had something to teach me. I didn't sure. know that he was older, and I can like watch the dude from here on out and be like, okay, this is what he's doing. And it just so happened it materialized into a relationship and a friendship. Yeah. And I was able to do more creative shit that and not, and then feel part of a kind of the most important thing for me was to feel part of a legacy. Like I helped tell this story. Right. That was part of it, bro. So sure, sure. Um, you could really be, you know, I challenge people to be equally strategic. No, I could count on my hand how many times people have reached out to me and just asked for help. Not many. Yeah. And I'm, I'd probably be compelled out of guilt to try to fucking help somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So like, do that more often. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. People yeah. should do it because yeah, people are willing to help if you're doing yeah. like cool stuff and you seem like yeah. So yeah, 
Yeah. Well, how can do you, are you like on Twitter? How can people like follow you or stuff? Yeah. Uh, one thing I do is keep a parenting blog at bigbrowndad.com where I riff on comedic parenting situations. So you can check me out at bigbrowndad.com. Um, and if you're in the Los Angeles area looking for something to do, I also have this, I give these food tours um, called Fun Belly Food Tours. Huh. I give a food tour here in Eagle Rock and in, in Claremont. So totally. gather up, you know, four or five or six of your homies and uh, get really and high. Set it off. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a company I just ran into online that they give weed tour, like weed bus tours or whatever. Oh, oh, hell yeah. Jump in the bus and we're driving to your van. Funny. Like, Damn. Funny. Shit. All right, man. Well, let's wrap this one up, Carlos. Thanks for fucking swinging by, man. Yeah, man, I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thanks a lot. Respect. And, uh, let's keep in touch. Anytime you want to come to the Bay Area, you have a place to stay. Dope. Come up in the visit. woods? Have to, uh, <laughs> yeah, ride dude. a bike up there? <laughs> Whatever you want, man. <laughs> Mushrooms. <It's crazy>. no. <laughs> How far do you guys live from each other? You guys are like just... Like an hour, 35 uh, minutes. Oh, is that right? Oh, shit. Yeah. All right. Well, big ups, everybody. Uh, get your Patreon up. I don't know if... I'm not getting your episodes, bro, but I've been contributing my $3 really? a month. I don't know how this is supposed oh, to work shit. or whatever. You don't get the email notifications? I do not, but I don't know. We've we were just talking... left you out. Actually, no. <laughs> you guys uh, kick down on the Patreon. Wait, do you have the, the Patreon app? No. Okay. I mean, that's not why you should. You should be getting an email <laughs> that says there is a new uh, episode up. Oh, okay. And then you have to access them through either the web page or the Patreon app. Cause we're yeah we we're like twelve episodes in on the Patreon yeah, podcast. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of wondering what's going on on that guys. You guys we actually posted one last night on the, in <laughs> the car. We're like we gotta put more. Um, Get your Patreon up. Yeah, Patreon.com yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. All right, <laughs> peace, peace.